Welcome to the Connectors Podcast, the show that explores the importance of making meaningful connections for personal and professional growth and happiness. We will share how building and recognizing strong connections in life can help you achieve your goals, find fulfillment in your work, and how you can create opportunities to build a purposeful and fulfilling future. Come along for the journey and let's connect. Welcome to our show, The Connectors, where Joe and I speak this week to Phil Burgess about making workplaces more human, having trust and connection and better discussions, about sharing the data and analytics around actual case studies that have been done in the workplace to improve connection, to improve well-being, and to show a solid return on investment uh, from the business side. We talked about culture building and the role of leaders in modeling what matters and about dissolving the hierarchy between leaders and the teams and employees. And finally, we touched on therapeutic talking and listening as a way of improving well-being and building connection. Hello, welcome to The Connectors. Today, we have a great guest on the show that we'd love to share with you. And I'm going to give him a little intro or a big intro because he deserves a big intro. Uh, so today we have Phil Burgess and he is the co-founder and managing partner of Within, an organization that works with leaders to improve employee mental health by building connection at work. Previously, he was chief people officer at a global consulting firm, C-Space, where he and his team won various awards, including learning team of the year, best agency and best place to work. While at C-Space, emerging from the pandemic, Phil says that people were feeling disconnected from work and each other. He commissioned a mental health and connection program that generated such meaningful improvements in employee well-being that he decided to leave his corporate role and start a new business focused on building connection in workplaces. Phil is passionate about building kinder, more human workplaces where people can really thrive. After several years in the States, he now lives with his family in Hertfordshire in the UK. Welcome, Phil Burgess. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. What struck me was that you've uh, started out uh, working with people, always being with people. Then you sort of grew up the ladder until you started like managing from a system-wide structure way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. And then now you're back doing the people to people thing. And I just love that you're you're sort of honing back in on the uh, making workplaces more human. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a big it's a big shift for me to go from, um, I guess, a corporate career where, where I was on the C-suite as CPO looking after 400 people to suddenly um, being just an organization of two uh, where we have to go and sort of hunt for our own dinner and um, it's quite a humbling experience, I think, actually, uh, metaphorically knocking on doors to, to drum up business, albeit about something we're very passionate about. And um, but but exciting and, and, and liberating, exhilarating to be to be getting out of bed every morning and doing something I believe in. And I think after after sort of 15, 20 years of corporate life, much as I enjoyed the roles and 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 like to think I had an impact in them. It's yeah, it's fun to be scrappy and entrepreneurial again and um, building from the bottom up and yeah, let's see where it goes. Yeah, I got. I hear you. It's what I've been doing since like last November, December. So <laughs> yeah, at the same time as me. Yeah, I've been. I've been oh, doing really? about. We we sort of went live with things in February, so we're about six months into our into awesome. our journey. Very exciting. So I'm really curious about making this making workplaces more human piece, Phil. And you know, I work in corporate myself. I've been there a long time. And although I don't talk much about it on the show, you know, there are definitely things that I witness from my my period of time there that um, where there is a lot of disconnection between the work that we do and the people that we work with and how we approach that work. Um, I'm just wondering for you, what are some of the things that you started to notice that you really wanted to hone in on this topic and and making these better connections in the workplace? It's a great it's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I think the notion of making business more human when we were at C-Space, it was something we we really tried to do with our clients. We were very much about figuring out how to understand the humans that bought products and services and helping our clients connect with them and, and build better products and service for them. And, and my role as chief people officer was sort of figuring out culturally, how could we make our 
business culture right for the humans that that work for us and um and a lot of that was figuring out like how could we help people show up as their their authentic selves how could we uh, appreciate the uniqueness of the individuals that work for us uh, and celebrate their differences so that took us into the room, realm of diversity equity and inclusion what were you getting right there but i i think also uh, i i like to think about being human as being sort of messy and imperfect and just as we as people are messy and imperfect so are organizational cultures and i i think one of the things that i've learned over the years is you 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 don't really set an organizational culture and and then it just sort of stays the same but it evolves and it moves with uh with the external environment with the people that work there with the leaders that work there with the hint, the things that hit us like covid and i guess even things like the murder of george floyd in in the states that had a huge impact on corporate culture and how we how we shifted hmm. so i think this notion of being more human is is sort of embracing that messiness uh figuring out how it works and i don't know i was talking to my business partner felix today actually about whether the notion of being human is is good because i guess i see it as being human is embracing all the good parts of being human like a a bit more kindness a bit more empathy um a bit more allowing people to show up as themselves but being human is also there's a dark side to being human it's being selfish it's it's um yeah it's being arrogant it's seeking power uh it's seeking status and i i think most mm. organizational cultures just as all of us have a dark side and a light side and and it's interesting as we think about how do we build connection in organizations how do you em- embrace some of these this sort of light and shade of people and culture and what's the role of organizations like mine like within but also leadership teams how do, how do they sort of embrace these challenges it's it's kind of messy but i i kind of like getting stuck into it <sighs> Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but you're right. It is messy. There's this light dark side of right the people that work there, but also the organization itself. Um so in terms of uh, when I think of that, I think about how do we align? How do we get alignment with the people that work there and with the business culture? I, I, is that something that you look at when you're working with these teams? <clears throat> um yeah, another another big question. I mean, I'm just trying to think like how do we how do we get alignment uh with it? Um I I guess there's something about figuring out where organizations are in their journey right now. So every organization is different. Every every team is on a, a slightly different journey and depending on who you talk to you won't always get the same answer about what what that organization is like. So um I I do think there's something about as as we go into organizations or as an organization thinks about its own culture, it it can be helpful to sort of map out these these um these inconsistencies so uh, most organizations have a set of values on the wall and we did we co-created them with our people and and we found that um again they had light and dark and and i i remember uh, an amazing trainer who came in and spoke to us about polarities and both things could be true at the same time you can um and i think that's true of organizational culture as mm-hmm. well um mm-hmm. so i i don't perhaps alignment is it's making me think is alignment even the right word and is it actually more about appreciating some of the nuance and not trying to fit it into a box but but actually say that there there's that there's different extremes that can happen at the same time and that's one of the things that i think makes it really interesting but also so challenging to to lead organizational cultures right now because things are quite divided and people's experiences can vary so much day to day. I don't know if that makes sense. Your your questions are just making See, I can see the the wheels turning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got these ideas of okay, so we're balancing the good and the bad and sure, we can't always take the good, but we can't always be dragged over to the dark side, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker. Um, but I was also thinking that the like if we think of words that are like grit and resilience which people want to have you know how do you center a whole entire organization of 400 people around five words you know grit and resilience yeah they're good words to have and they're two words that i resonate strongly with but the homeless person who's on the street also has grit and resilience which is the negative side of the coin that we're talking about and that's not an okay thing to have in that situation you know yeah i mean i i, I perhaps a way of answering that question is that again just thinking about this idea of human and different different sides of things or or taking taking something like resilience or mental health 
rather than thinking about the fact that someone is always resilient or never resilient or has poor mental health or good good mental health it's it's perhaps it's for me it's a bit more of the fact that we on different days show up with different emotions different feelings and different scales so on one day i may not have a I mean, I, I may not, I don't have a mental health diagnosis, but there are days where I have good mental health and I'm feeling good about life. And there are days when I have poor mental health. And there are weeks when I feel resilient, like I can take on the world. And there are days and weeks where I sometimes feel pretty broken and I'm not really sure what to do with myself. And mm. I think as leaders and as organizations or as, as consultants going in to help those companies, perhaps that's a way of, thinking about things that, that that we're not all the same all the time we don't we don't become resilient and then you're resilient forever because a life event will happen and and it will send us in a different direction and, and we may not know what that is so I, I i think an interesting question is i suppose how do we equip people with skills mindsets tools techniques support networks to help them as they navigate these these sort of shifting stands, these changes in mm. emotions, uh, changes mm. in their lives, and and that's why I think connection is so interesting and, and often under leveraged because I think the notion of having a strong support network, having strong social connections, is often under leveraged as a as a solution for many of the problems, challenges that we face as individuals or as organizations in the world today. And that's why I'm so excited to come on this podcast with you because I I think as I talk to leaders. Um, I think there are cohort of leaders that are cottoning on to this idea that if you can help people build relationships, that can be a really powerful way of helping with resilience and well-being or creativity or innovation or reducing attrition. And these big, hairy words that, that, that organizations are trying to grapple with, often through initiatives that don't really shift the needle. But it all comes down for me to human connection and if you can connect with the humans and you like working with them and you respect working with them and you get energy from working with them then that goes a long way you talked a lot about leadership in there and i that's i think that's my where my brain goes to in terms of this the organizational culture is you know how do we get leaders on board with that kind of mindset because there are a lot of leaders that do exist all currently in a lot of these organizations that probably have an old way of thinking and getting them to shift their mindset and getting sort of a new <clears throat> new types of thought leaders in those positions i think is what is necessary for for what you're saying to happen um yet there's still a lot of yeah, I, again, I guess just older mindsets in terms of the way people think or this is the way we've always done things or they're still not quite there yet on that bandwagon of understanding this connection and neurodiversity and inclusion, um, all those important things. So mm -hmm. is it up to leaders? If like, I guess if a leader is not jumping on board with those things, it is up to their leaders to make sure that they're doing that. Like, how do we get a culture of leaders that are going to cultivate this environment? <clears throat> another it's another really I, I i mean i wish i i wish i knew the answer because it would be it would be amazing for my business if i if i could figure that out but we, we talk about this, today. <laughs> we talk about this a lot like we've probably spoken to 50 or 60 ceos mds um sort of chros or cpos in the last few months as we've been going out telling them about what we do and i think that we've sort of debated should we be going out and trying to convert people who just don't really believe this stuff? They, they fundamentally, they, they may say they believe in this, but, mm. but when it comes down to it, they're not really mm -hmm. um, believers that connection and relationships and investment in this sort of people-centric activities is, is fundamentally going to change their business or, or drive their bottom line. And then there are groups of leaders who I think are grappling with this and do get it. I guess perhaps have seen the positive impact of this in their own organizations or in their own lives. And they are looking for solutions to, to build culture. And they do believe that investing in these sorts of activities um, makes a difference, not just to the people um, in their organizations, but to their business performance. And, and we've been sort of debating where do we where do we go? Where do we focus our efforts? And I think right now we're saying we should go where the energy is. There are people out there who are actively looking for solutions. And our best bet is to seek out those people who get it and are looking for ways to move things forward. Perhaps they've tried things and they haven't worked 
or they jumped on the bandwagon after the pandemic and commissioned 15 different things to make a difference and they're not quite sure what's happening. Um, and now they're looking to, to, to do something that shifts the needle. And then if we can evidence the ROI of investing in connection and relationships and culture building, then those stories will start to shift the next right. cohort mm -hmm. of yeah. leaders. Um, that, that's kind of where we're approaching it from. I think that's I think an important it's... thing to highlight because, yeah, you like I've thought of this myself recently. You know, when you kind of fight resistance, you fight, you you want somebody to change because, you know, you're capable of change and you want somebody else to really like, hone in, you know, like absorb that and hone in on that. And because, you know, it's possible. And when others don't, it can feel it can it feels deflating a little bit or it feels like oh this is not what i expect from humanity mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or i just you know i just know that i can i know for myself i can always do better so i like what i see that in other people but i think what you're saying is we just need to go towards the people and the organizations that want that change and that are accepting that type of change and then hopefully through those shared stories and through testimonials and through, um, like you said, ROI, return on investment, then it might start to impact and inspire other people to do so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I, I don't think I'm saying like just just hope that they, they get it. I think we and the industry probably also has to work hard to to evidence it. So it's really important to measure the efficacy of, of uh, connection efforts, of relationship building efforts, and, and see what metrics in the organization does it shift. So mm. as we talk to people, we're looking at engagement data and we're looking at like, does this have an impact on retention? So we, we ran a program and people who had been through the connection program, there was a seven percentage point increase or um, for the people who had been through it on their propensity to stay with the organization for the next 12 months compared to people who hadn't. Mm -hmm. And that's a wow. great metric to go to yeah. someone like the FD who's like, okay, well, why should I, why should I put my dollars into this when I could, yeah, I've got a culture budget over here. I could go and spend 15 K on sales training, or I could send three people to conferences, or mm -hmm. I could have a big like ice cream social and take the whole company out. And isn't that what we mean? Mm. And, um, yeah, so I think I think the more we can build those metrics, the the more compelling the investment case will be for leaders to to spend time and energy on these things, which can easily be dismissed as the sort of the soft stuff, just to do in times of yeah uh, when we've got a bit of cash. When when I'd argue that actually it's when things get tough that you really need to build connection because that's when you do want your teams to go the extra mile and they are going to be looking around and jumping mm -hmm. ship and worried about the cost of living. Like it's when you need to support them the most. Mm -hmm. You know that that just makes me think we've all had a past in L and D, learning and development, HR training. And so often the L&D teams are let go first or, you know, that in, in times of difficulty or crisis or financial issues. And it's always been this thing where we say, no, you've got to keep us on board. Like we, we're the ones who can, if you couple with us and work with us, leadership plus the L&D, we can get through this together and we can like chart a new territory. But then it also makes me think of what Joe's mentioning, where what happens if your leader is a bit stuck in the mud and, you know, they, they're not wanting to take these initiatives like what your company did after the pandemic, uh, going for uh, mental health training, putting a lot of effort and emphasis in that and for the connection uh, program that you did, you know? Yeah, and I, I, um, I still don't think we got it right uh fully right like we we did well and and i i i think we made a lot of progress um and even then it was still a challenge at times to get people bought in to the idea of um learning and development and that that tension of particularly in an agency which required a lot of billable hours mm. of its people mm. that the idea of like give me people who are trained but i don't really want to spend you need like 10 hours to train them can't we just hire people who are trained like that that argument I would have frequently with managers and leaders where it's like, well, we can either employ them and train them or we can try and have them just ready trained. But no one really comes ready trained, do they? They they need orientating into our culture and our business. So it was a it was a constant I think battle is the right word. Like it was a constant mm -hmm. battle to try to to land that with people. And in challenging times when money got tight, 
uh, it still did get cut and it still did get um, deprioritized, which I found intensely frustrating. And I, yeah, I don't think I ever fully figured out. I'd love to say I did, but um, I think honestly I didn't. <laughs> if you figured it out, you'd probably still be there in that in the company that you figured it yeah. out in. <laughs> and it, it's certainly it's one of the one of the reasons why I I'm now doing what I'm doing because being part of that corporate environment, um, fight fighting those battles, um, ca can be was tiring, and it's interesting now there are different challenges. But but being on the other side of the fence, I'm still trying to help people see the light. But but I um yeah I guess I can go to different in different directions depending mm. on. Yeah. the response i get yeah yeah and I th that could be um exhausting too right fighting those battles all the time i think i'm noticing it just personally for myself where i want the battles i want to fight and the battles i i don't and i think mm. it's great to be to me you're a disruptor i i like that word and people that are disrupting the, the status quo um so i i really love that and i think you know as you know we love talking about connection here and we have that's what our our whole premise of our show is. And in terms of building meaningful connections in the workplace, would you say they're like, how do people know how much connection to establish and with whom and how much is too much sharing and how much is too little? Like, you know, those kinds of things. I think people worry about possibly being their true selves at work um, and what that means exactly for them and what their experience is going to be like there and how they move up even if they want to progress up the ladder. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so many, so many different ways we could take that. Like, I, I guess one thing that we tend to talk to organizations about is it's a bit of a spectrum. So there are some organizations where um, it's a, a very brittle culture. It's sort of armor up. Um, I'm not going to talk at all about any of my weaknesses or anything about my life outside work because that's just not done here. Um, at the other end of the scale, and I, I do see some organizations getting into this territory, it's almost like everyone um, is talking to everyone about everything. And it almost feels like the organization has become a de facto therapist for staff. And I'm not saying that organizations <laughs> I mean, I do think organizations have a responsibility to provide access to mental health solutions and therapy for staff, but it shouldn't necessarily be the organization's job to 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 be the therapist. And and that's sharing everything with everyone. And um, I think a healthy place is sort of some middle ground. And we often have this conversation mm -hmm. with clients about what's right for you, uh, where people feel safe enough to sort of take down the social mask on occasion and and be really open about how they're feeling about things uh, mm. free of judgment free of judgment i think is is a key part of it and um, so they, they need to be able to talk openly and they need to feel that someone's listening that that doesn't necessarily mean everyone all the time but are there spaces are there specific groups are there specific individuals people relationships that that people have where they can feel that they can sort of take down that mask that we all probably wear it at, 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 at times when we're we're thinking about how am I showing up here mm -hmm. um, and I I think that's always a good place to think about uh, what what who, who are those people for you as an individual like where are those spaces for you and and if you're more on the culture side of things in an organization do, do our people have access to to those spaces and those people and are we facilitating for that that mm -hmm. for right okay so you're establishing trust with specific mm -hmm. people or with perhaps your HR department or whoever it may be that you feel safe speaking to, or, you know, you have friendships that work too. So those relationships um, focus on, on those where you have those outlets. <clears throat> um, but find you might a variety want, of people. Right. Find a variety of people, uh, different departments different, even maybe might. Yeah. Different, different ways of support. And I think I, I, I think the other part of your question, Joe seemed a little bit like, um, I guess one of the things I noticed uh, particularly in um, companies with a lot of younger workers, uh, perhaps more liberal uh, in in more liberal areas as well. Um, I I think there's an expectation from workers in many organisations that that their their leaders are showing some vulnerability. So I think the leadership paradigm is is changing in many organisations. I think people look upwards and they're like, I I want to know that my leaders are human and that they are fallible. That doesn't mean that they're crying all over the place and losing control, but actually. I have found that if a leader is authentic and um, shares with me or shares with the team that they don't know the answers, that they're struggling, they, they typically go up in my estimations. 
um, I, I feel that that person is, yeah, is, is showing up with authenticity. And, and, and I think this is something that many leaders struggle with. What is the right level of vulnerability to show for your team? Mm-hmm. And I think people fear that if I'm vulnerable, will that be will that be held against me? So I was talking to someone the other day who looks after well-being in a law firm, and um, they really suffer from extreme burnout and stress. Yet people on the partner track um, are nervous about saying they're struggling because their mm. metrics from the senior leadership are like, how many hours are you working? How many hours are you billing? And they don't want to know that you are stressed or worried. Mm. Um, Whereas I've always really valued someone on my team coming to me and saying, I'm, I'm really struggling right now. That That's a sign, I think, that they feel psychologically safe. It gives mm-hmm. me uh, a clear signal that they need some support. And that's something I've really valued um, and tried to instill in them. So, again, I don't think there's an easy answer, but I, I, I think that grappling with that sense of how much to share, who to share it with, will it be weaponized, mm-hmm. um, is is certainly on people's minds right now. I don't know if you've had similar thoughts or experiences. <clears throat> yeah, well, I was just thinking even with my leader at work, she's been really great at um, checking in with me. At least we meet every week. She'll say, is there anything you need from me? If I'm having kind of an off day, I will let her know that because I'd rather, I would rather it not show in my work that obviously I'm not focused on something or I'm not reaching this goal because I've got something else going on and it's really taking up my, you know, brain capacity or, or my mental or emotional, you know, health in that moment. So um, I've been better at having those conversations because I have that type of leader, but I can't say I've always had that. So maybe I struggled with the work and I never shared it because I was also struggling personally. So I think it's a really good point to make that, you know, leader, there is an onus on leaders to, I think, be that safe space that your uh, employees can go to and share these things when you're struggling because otherwise, how do they know? You can find us on the following social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, I think one of the things that we've, we try to do at Within is is help leaders see that these these are skills that can also be trained. So when you become a leader, you don't automatically just know how to use your judgment around like whether to be vulnerable or not, or how to be an amazing listener. And um, one of the things we do is try to help leaders and managers learn how to listen really well, but also how to talk openly in a safe sort of structured way um, that helps build connection. And mm-hmm. and there's a lot of evidence out there that if if you if you feel well listened to, if you're able to talk openly, and if you do that with uh, another person, another couple of people in a very structured way, then it can lift well-being for both parties, that sense of helping each other and seeing each other as people. So I think I think that's the other thing that leaders can think about like this is a skill a muscle that can be flexed and improved it's not something that you're just born with as part of a a set of leadership traits sorry quentin i think i I, you were going to say something then as well i found two um bits of research recently in the last couple of weeks which hone in on what uh, you and joe were talking about so the first is 70 percent of a team's engagement is influenced by their manager and that was a gallup poll yeah. And then from Microsoft Workplace Trends, 80% of Gen Z and millennial employees are looking to connect in person with senior leadership and their managers. In person. In wow, person. That's surprising with for their Gen managers. Z. Yeah, mm. yeah. But there's there's this sort of need for some sort of dissolution of all of the hierarchy of the pyramid, you know, where we're if you're going to bring people back into a hybrid office work environment, there's got to be like a mix of people. You can't right. just be going and chatting with your fellow accountants is the sort of expectation. Mm. And I think the implication for leaders there is back to this sense of being intentional about how do you foster connection and relationships. So you can't, yeah, I always get a little bit triggered when it's like, oh, it all used to happen around the water cooler. I, I don't think that was really the case. No. I don't ever remember standing around the water cooler <laughs> coming up with an amazing idea that was on no. its product. It was usually <laughs> some show they were watching on the um, weekend yeah. or some yeah. gossip. <laughs> yeah. But I do remember like being in the office, like seeing someone at their desk at 6.30 and wandering over to them and being like, how are you doing? And then uh, like meeting some or, or seeing a new person 
um, seeing as someone I haven't seen for a year and then being like, oh, we need to catch up about that thing. And so I think that sort of serendipitous thing is relevant. But I, I think I see a lot of people investing a lot of money in sort of social events, which I think are really important. But again, in when we went back from the pandemic, we spent a lot of money on we had margarita machines and we had um, we do big like ice cream things. And typically what would happen is the leadership would st stand at one t side of the room. Yeah. They maybe would walk the room a bit. All of the most junior people would sit around one table. Yeah. Um, and then I don't know how many people at the end of the night left with any real meaningful human connection or new relationships. So I think this um, that's a new challenge for leaders. How, how do you foster them in a more intentional way? How can you make your orientation more about fostering a support network in the organization? How do you, um, how do you manufacture occasions for your junior people to meet with leadership? Are there, mm. are there walk-in sessions, drop-in sessions? Are there lunch and learns with leadership? Are there ask me anything sessions? So I, I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, and again, it's back to connection, relationships and intentionality. Mm -hmm. We started coffee sessions, so it's basically you're you're joining up with somebody who's not necessarily <clears throat> the same you know job as you, or they could be in a different department or um, an EVP, AVP, etc. Um, with that in mind, <laughs> um, I'm just wondering if you ever touch on, I guess, respect in the environment in terms of hierarchy, and if like the res respect when it comes to all humans and all connection that we're working towards this greater good of the, this company and organization we're working for, yet people get stuck on the hierarchy and only respond to or pay attention to or listen to the people that are higher above. Um, I've had that experience. I don't know if it's something within your work that you've noticed or that you've had to address or have people brought this up before. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly when we, I mean, we we often bring people together in groups and teach them how to to connect and listen really well to each other. And we really encourage those groups to be, um, they're often mixed groups. So there might be someone from the C-suite, um, someone from middle management, someone more junior there. Um, and that can that can be quite nerve wracking for people. We we really try to strip hierarchy out of a lot of those conversations by, by asking people not to focus on job role and that kind of stuff. And, and through some of the exercises we do, you quickly start to see that actually people are human first and and we we typically start work closely with the leadership team to ask them to go first so if we ask someone to tell a personal story um that might be one of the c-suite members and and we would sort of prompt them to to share something more personal to mm -hmm. provide permission for others to do the same um that's when you're working with leaders who who sort of get it and and mm -hmm. understand that and that's not the case in all organizations um I don't know the the idea that that the hierarchy piece is interesting for me because I always felt that I was very approachable and I would always get feedback that I um yeah that people felt comfortable sharing with me and I was good at creating psychological safety but then I I did get to a point where I remember someone pointed out I remember I think it might have been in an engagement survey or something where someone had made a comment about me not being as approachable and 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 I I sort of it gave me pause to think and I was like I am I am like in my 40s and they are in their 20s and I, I do oversee the people team and, and we hire and we fire. Mm. And perhaps the idea that they can just walk up to me and ask me a question because I think of myself as a friendly, approachable guy is just not not the reality for, for everyone. And, and, mm. and that did give me cause to think about how can I create more, um, yeah, how, how can I sort of lessen that, that hierarchical gap that, that, that I guess is there, even though I might be like, you don't need to worry. They were like, but you're, I know you, you sit over there and you're, you are more senior. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Your question is just, just, um, it, it's perhaps. That is a good point, though. There. No, but it, I, you know, it could be somebody who's just younger, maybe a little more intimidated by somebody who's had all this experience. Like, so it may not even be anything you were doing. You, you just never know. And that's where there's some nuances throughout this, this theme is that you're just never fully going to know when someone's having a great day or an off day or they're resilient that day or they're not, just like you were saying earlier. So those are all factors that come into play, I think, mm -hmm. at any any of these times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's another reason for sort of like you, you need to find your people and have your people at work. So I think if I'm honest, I would have loved to have thought that anyone could ask me anything at work. But the reality is there are people who who wouldn't have liked me as much as other people. The, the important thing is there are senior leaders who 
they can relate to, who, who, who get them, uh, that they have managers who get them, that they have other people in the organization. And um, yeah, I used to run uh, the London office of C-Space with Felix, who's, who's now my, my business partner at Within. And uh, we're very different personalities. And, and there were people who would gravitate towards me when they had a, a problem. There were people who would gravitate towards him. And that mm. actually kind of worked quite nicely. And I think that's, again, probably something that leadership teams can be conscious of. Like one person doesn't have to connect with everyone, but have mm. you got people covered across your senior leadership team? Yeah. Are there patches where, where relationships are not strong? Are there bits of the organization where people don't feel safe or haven't got an outlet or are feeling like there are outliers? And can you pick that up in the data you collect from engagement surveys or mm. um, yeah, uh, mapping who's progressing well or not with managers and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Does any of the stuff tie into people's job roles? So their job descriptions in terms of like, do you think in organizations there should be job descriptions where people have to fit into that, you know, structure what that job is or more that what your skill sets and your experiences and your competencies are, should be aligned with something that you're better at. Um, and, and I don't know if this that plays into this sort of connection and leadership and, and all those things, but just something I that popped into my mind about we're always trying to fit people into this, you know, box of how we want this job to be. But is that the right role for a person or? Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I, 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 I think we I mean, we certainly um, really we, we did have leadership as a competency. We had relationships as a competency and we were quite um, intentional about sort of codifying what were the kind of behaviors that we wanted people to demonstrate at different levels. Um, and I, and I, I can imagine a lot of companies have have those sort of softer competencies mm -hmm. alongside the, te the technical skills. Um, we, we wanted to try to help our um, I mean, one of the things we did, which was less of a competency framework, but we looked at our manager um, framework and previously it had been very focused on here are all your responsibilities as a manager. Um, and then we started mm -hmm. looking at it and thinking like, actually it was turning into like managers having to do everything for their people, which was not necessarily helpful. So we started to codify mm -hmm. the relationship between the direct report and the manager. And this is, these are, this is, this is really what your relationship should look like. And here are mm -hmm. some exercises that you can do to build connection, to get to know each other. Um, that was, that was certainly quite helpful in, in changing that dynamic. Um, and then a bit of an aside, but it did make me think of it. Like I was thinking earlier, one of the people on my team, uh, originally he was an HR business partner, but he pitched me on a role, which initially I was skeptical about. Um, he said, relationships are so important in our organization. I, um, I think I should be director of relationships and my role should be to figure out how do we build connection across the organization? Mm -hmm. So how do we ensure our employee resource groups are connected, that we're focusing on this, that we're developing skills in this? When he first pitched it to me, I was, I was put off by the title. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know, what will people think? This doesn't really feel like a job description. And then about a year later, when we were really looking at the organization and thinking people are kind of disconnected as we emerge from the pandemic, like this is a real issue. This is a business priority. Um, we did create that role and he became director of relationships and his mm -hmm. focus was culture, ERGs, um, and, and he eventually um, moved up into a chief of staff position um, because, uh, yeah, he was amazing at, building relationships and and we were like this should be a business priority um and it, it's a big enough job for it to be one person's job but his role was also to make sure everyone else focused on this as well mm -hmm. that was something we tried that's so interesting because that's what i want my future job to be basically sorry yeah. excuse me <clears throat> um no i just was thinking about um, like it, how things are normally structured, a manager or your leader, whoever they are, or their role is, they have a responsibility to the people and to their team and to creating, like you said, those connections and relationships and understanding how the dynamics within your team work. Sometimes that can be almost a full role and they don't have time necessarily to do the work that they're aligned to do. So that's, you know, kind of got me thinking, I think there should be more of those types of roles where they're looking at the different departments in the company and how they sort of intersect in the projects they're working on together, how they can collaborate better, um, all those sort of cross-functional team efforts that go on. So I don't see that um, where I am, but 
I, I wonder, I wondered if it existed and if people are starting to do that now and notice that those roles are necessary. Hmm. I think they are necessary and I, I um, and can be really helpful. And I think the harsh reality, particularly in the current economic climate, is those roles are often the ones that, um, like you said, uh, do get either eliminated or um, they're easy for people across the organization to point out and say, is that really, is that role mm -hmm. really necessary? Uh, like, mm -hmm. is it is it a, a luxury? Just as we're seeing a lot of DEI officers and um, L&D folks right now having their positions eliminated. Yeah. Um, uh, so I know it kind of makes me sad. I, 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 I guess I get it on a commercial pragmatic level, but I, I also think it, it, it can be quite short-termist and it can be quite easy to be like, yep, yeah, those are the roles that are going to go. Uh, rather than perhaps questioning, um, you know, have, have we got the right leaders leading the business? Like, what what what's really going on here? Why are we not? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Why are we not growing? And um, I, I I don't know. That's probably a, another whole story. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. that's a whole yeah. other story. I was like thinking post pandemic here in North America, there were a lot of IT companies or companies in in tech who let go ten thousand workers here and five thousand workers there and like these companies, what sort of leadership is that, you know, where you just take on board whole entire departments of people and then without a thought, just let go of them mm. just because the AGM is coming and the shareholders need to see some profits and, and yeah. your human resources are expensive. It's like, I got a list of companies that I won't touch now, you know, <laughs> and all that yeah. knowledge goes out the window, right? Yeah. Like all, it's all gone. All yeah. the knowledge yeah. that was <clears throat> yeah. And so yet there sweet. must also be some truth in it, um, like human impact aside them. I remember talking to one person who worked for one of the big tech companies and they'd been there for 16 or so weeks and they were like, I haven't really done anything yet. Like, I'm not even sure what my job is. I'm mainly just sort of hanging out. Um, and of, of course, I don't want to downplay the the, the, the the human impact of all those layoffs. But I, I guess it comes back to that leadership thing. Like, uh, uh, like are you being intentional about like how you're staffing and hiring and mm. that that kind of hire and fire culture of bring everyone in when when things are going good like great resignation talent was hard to get everyone suddenly hired everyone like crazy and then there's a dip and everyone's laid off again we're seeing it every day um and yeah i i, I don't know what the answer is but it it, it it's certainly depressing to see yeah yeah we have, yeah, have a follow-up show <laughs> on more of these things so i want yeah, to ask 2023 you uh, roundup <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i want to ask you Phil, about your within leadership workshop do you want to tell us a little bit about that i know quinta and i are both signed up and we're really excited oh yeah no that'll be uh, it'll be fun to have you there yeah so at, at within um we're, we're really focused on helping leaders uh, drive results by building connection uh, in their workplaces and um we run uh, um, various programs, uh, longer term programs, as well as short term programs to help train people in how to listen really well and how to talk truthfully. And that increases well-being. Um, and what we've started to do is run free 90 minute uh, workshops, which um, are open to anyone to attend, um, where we teach people a couple of powerful techniques for connecting with others. And we also um, help people become aware of some of the bad habits that many of us have developed as leaders, uh, as as just humans, uh, that um, can sometimes get in the way of um, connecting well with other people. Mm -hmm. So um, it's they, they're quite intimate sessions. They're usually sort of 10, 15 people. Um, and it's a chance to learn some new skills and um, connect with connect with peers. So um, yeah, if any of your listeners are, are listening, there's there's details on our website, and um, we'd love to see some more people in them. Yeah, awesome. for sure. And we will put your website in the show notes. And please sign up for the next uh, workshop. Yeah, no, that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. And I want to hear more about this campaign that you and your wife had started to clean up litter. litter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So I mean, that's, um, that's, a, it was a bit of a side project, really. So in, in 2020, Sarah and I had moved from the UK to the US. Um, and actually, we hadn't really found our people. So again, it, it somehow always comes back to connection. We were we were feeling a little bit lonely. We were wandering on the beach one day, and my wife's always picking up litter, uh, blowing around. And and it was um, December thirty first, twenty nineteen, and um, 
we picked up a bag of litter and then we went home and stuck it on Instagram and said, wouldn't it be cool if everyone who saw this picked up a bag of litter? Um, and no one, no one did. But by the end of January, we'd gone out every day and picked up a bag of litter and stuck it on Instagram. Okay. And we hashtagged it just one bag 2020. Wow. And then people started joining in from around the world. Um, so... And by April, we had, um, we'd collected 2020, 2020, that was our goal. So 2020 bags by April. Um, and so we, we just carried on. We kept collecting litter every time we were out with the kids. And um, over the last couple of years, more than 4,400 people have joined in around the world across 45 different countries and collected 60,000 bags of litter. That so, is amazing. Um, uh, it, was, amazing. it was this sort of social campaign that took off. That um, And um, it was amazing, really, because I think we didn't know that the pandemic was going to hit three months after we started it. But for us, it also became a little bit our own. Uh, it's a good time to do it. Yeah. When the world is kind of going crazy around us, uh, something within our control was to go out and pick up a bag of litter. And I've found that over the last couple of years, like um, various people on my team did it. My, my team at, at Sea Space for my birthday, they all went out and picked up a bag of litter for me and sent them photos, oh. sent me photos of them picking up litter. And, um, and now when I'm on a conference call with someone, I'm, I, I'm always very open with them. I'm like, oh, I'm out walking and talking. It's good for my mental health. And I'm picking up some litter. You should do it too. Um, so, <laughs> I know, it's a bit of a running joke, that. but it, it's, it's a small way of trying to make a difference and feel a bit more in control. Oh, yeah. you inspired me because I live close to the river in uh, London, Ontario, which is also the Thames River here. <laughs> um, and it's it's riddled with with litter, like it's just everywhere. And especially since the homelessness issue has been higher since the pandemic as well. So um, I am going to start doing just that. Oh, and yeah. is your Instagram is the Instagram page just one bag? Is that just one bag 2020? Yeah, 2020. it's, it's okay. a lot of photos of me and my kids and wife and, and various people from around the world who've, who've joined in. There's a whole awesome. community out there, I've learned. Love That's it. Awesome. <laughs> Talking about chatting, chatting in different uh, capacities, speaking in different ways in relationships from taking a walk during the pandemic with your family to being in leadership positions. Can you talk to us about therapeutic talking and listening? Yeah, so the approach we teach at Within was developed by um, a psychotherapist called Nikki Forsyth, who's run a social enterprise called Talk for Health in the UK for the last decade, um, uh, mainly uh, across different London boroughs. And um, she developed um, a very structured approach to truthful talking and empathic listening, um, um, partly to meet a gap in therapy provision in the UK, where there are so many people who can't afford or can't get into formal therapy. And the research she did showed that um, if you can train lay people like you and I to um, talk and listen in a very specific, structured way, then um, it can be as effective as um, traditional therapy in, in raising feelings of well-being. Mm. So she had done that in the NHS um, in the UK for, for about a decade. And that was actually the program that Felix and I brought into C-Space when we were struggling with the sense of disconnection in our own organization. We, we trained 50 people in this approach to um, talking therapy. So telling short stories and listening to one another in a structured way. And we found that it had the same impact. It, we measured well-being. It, it increased well-being using the WHO5 scale. Um, and it also led to this phenomenal sense of human connection. So people were saying, I've, I've been at this organization for 10 years. And I've never felt as connected as to my colleagues as I do now. So that's that's really what inspired us, as, as Joe said at the start, to, to, to leave our corporate careers and start our new business and um, and take it into corporates where we where we think if people can learn to listen better and if people can um, learn to take down that social mask, then that can have a really positive impact on on well-being, but organizational culture mm. um, and business performance more generally. I wonder if this idea of therapeutic talking is linked to something that I read about years ago. I'm originally from Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe's got very few psychologists and psych uh, psychotherapists. I think there's like 12 in the whole country. And they started this thing called grandmother benches. And you would go and sit down on the bench and there'd be an old lady like from the village there and you would talk to her about your issues and your problems, and it would be a structured discussion. And it, it was 
because there was so so low such low support in uh, you know the population and they they did find that it really really helped I should yeah. wow that's wild I'm, yeah, yeah I'll try to send yeah. you guys a link to a story about that it was really interesting to read is yeah, it just, that, why why is it so low in terms of how many therapists uh, there are because the, the UK steals all of our health care nurses and doctors and psychotherapists they all go to the uk or to australia it's a huge brain drain it's a huge problem in africa wow yeah i didn't know that yeah yeah i think um yeah i've just finished vivek murthy the u.s surgeon general he's just written a book called together yes um, yes <laughs> it's on our list <laughs> it's my favorite it's my favorite book right now but it's all about it. yeah it's talking about the loneliness of the epidemic and the solution to that being social connection he gives um, some similar examples from different cultures around the world where they have similar sorts of yeah community-based circles and mm. and it feels like one of the key ingredients is this this it's a non-judgmental space and actually in life particularly in work many of us most of us feel judged all the time and if, if we're not being judged we're worried about being judged or the voice in our head is saying that so being able to talk to someone in a structured way who is not judging you who who is skilled at, at responding in a way that doesn't jump in with their opinion or trying to fix you or tell you mm. what to think mm. actually does deliver a therapeutic benefit so um yeah i'm i'm sure that um what we're doing and and is is rooted in in things that go back to uh, back mm -hmm. to, to those sorts of um yeah in, in indigenous ideas Mm, mm, yeah, this, this idea of community. Mm -hmm. Village. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. I really want to read that book. It's on my list too. Yeah. <laughs> Pete Bombachi brought it up on our show as well. So um, it is really yeah, good. It's, it's very it's very accessible. Yeah. I mean, sometimes okay. I, I find those those books quite heavy and but I I think it's very I found it to be very human, lots of great studies and stats um and anecdotes. Mm. Uh not not at all political, I didn't think. Um, but yeah, just just a very balanced, interesting um, book. Awesome. awesome. Good recommendation. Thank you. So that does it for today's show. Uh, we want to thank our guest, Phil Burgess, for being here. Thank you, Phil. This was such a wonderful discussion and I learned a ton and we're going to do a summary of this at the beginning of the show, as we always do. Um, can you let our listeners know where they can get a hold of you? Um, yeah, I mean, the best the best way to get a hold of me is probably on LinkedIn. So Phil Burgess. Um, uh, you can also um, check out our website. So we're www.within.business if you're curious to find out more about us there. And um, you can sign up to the workshop either through our website um, or through a, a link on my LinkedIn page. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating conversation across all levels of uh, companies, corporations, and now you working as an entrepreneur. Yeah, well, all thank you for having best. me. You've really, really got me, um, really got me thinking with all with all your questions. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, I can't wait to see what you do next, Phil, and I hope you uh, come back to the show sometime. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that. Thank you. If you've got a story inside of you, consider pitching it to us, the connectors. Get in touch with us on any of our social media platforms, and either Joe or myself, Quinton, will get back to you. So come join us on the show and let's connect.